0: Hi, and welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, I'm your host, Megan Cochran, and it is my pleasure to welcome today Neil Pogue. Neil is Assistant Professor of U.S. History at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. His book, The Nature of the Religious Right, offers the first historical account of how the religious right, mostly made up of politically motivated white conservative evangelicals, changed their position over time from religiously informed ideas of environmental stewardship to become strong opponents of environmental protection over the last 50 years. It is such a pleasure to welcome you to the New Books Network. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to write this book?
1: Yeah, um, I've always been interested in the relationship between humans and the environment. Uh, Growing up in the 1990s, uh, teachers were always talking about um, uh, things like global warming because we just had the uh, Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, and this was a big issue, and what should we do about climate change? Um, It was something that I decided to focus on as a graduate student um, at uh, uh, college with, um, or the uh, with the idea of, of specializing within within the area of, of history. And I was working with my advisor trying to find a thesis topic. And um, I had read a couple of articles about how different groups use religious faith to um, understand the environment around them. Uh, and I knew of the religious right. Uh, they had uh, certainly been a group uh, on the political landscape throughout the 90s. And then into around 2010 when I got started on this project. And I asked my advisor, I said, Did any, has anyone written a, a history on this group and how they've come to hold um, a, a viewpoint of uh, opposing the environment specifically, like denying climate change uh, as a reality? And he says, I, I don't think so. And I, the more I looked into it, it seemed that scholars had talked about this group, that they have either always ignored the environment or they have always opposed environmental protection efforts. Uh, and so one of the first things that I did when I was looking into this issue is, uh, what is this community talking about uh, back in 1970 with the birth of the environmental movement? Uh, you had 20 million Americans observing this this day. Uh, Congress recessed um, all you're of a sudden. Earth in... day.
0: You're talking about Earth Day in 1970?
1: Yes, Earth Day in 1970. Um, so uh, people are interested in it. What are... Uh, white conservative evangelicals doing in response to this observance. And um, I started looking at their periodicals. It was the first place I looked, and Christianity Today, Eternity, Moody Monthly, and they seem to be on board with it. They're saying, what are we doing to God's earth? Uh, This is something that should be respected and revered within our community. Let's start doing something about it. And I started thinking, well, there there must be a story here. How did we get from this particular view to saying that climate change isn't real or that um, Earth's resources are simply resources for our economy? So uh, I started to look into this uh, much more deeply, not just with my uh, thesis as a master's student, but my dissertation. Uh, and I kept uh, working on it even after I graduated and it turned into a manuscript and ultimately this book.
0: So in the in the book um you you talk you talk about this idea of how do we get from here to there. One of the things that really stands out is is a concept of dominion. And since you referred to it a little bit in the introduction, maybe you could explain what that means and how the religious right or maybe even start with who is the religious right, but how does this concept of dominion um, where does it come from, and what does it mean to that audience?
1: Yeah, uh, just to talk about or define the religious right here briefly and then talk about Dominion. Uh, oftentimes we'll hear the the label religious right, sometimes the, the Christian right. Uh, sometimes at elections they'll just be called the evangelical vote, uh, and it's this particular group Um, that understands the Bible as the literal word of God. For example, that God created everything in the universe within uh, six 24-hour days. But they're also socially and politically conservative. uh, And this movement within the social and political realm really came in opposition to uh, changes that are happening in uh, the United States in the 20th, about the middle part of the 20th century. For example, uh, issues like school integration, the women's liberation movement, and the gay rights movement. Uh, and this group really becomes or uh, finds their way into the political landscape as kind of a, a serious player. By 1980, you have Ronald Reagan, uh, who famously says, um, "I," and he's addressing uh, people like heavyweights within this community, like uh, uh, Liberty University founder Jerry Falwell and he says uh, this is what Reagan says and I paraphrase I know that uh, I can or I know that you cannot endorse me but I want you to know that I endorse you and what you are doing and all of a sudden everyone really starts paying attention to this, this political movement um, and the group kind of credits themselves with putting Reagan in the White House Uh, And at different times uh, since then, people have said, oh, well, the religious right uh, will kind of disappear. Well, in the present day, uh, over or or around 80 percent of this particular movement voted for Trump in 2016 and again in 2020. Um, They're a real uh, political player, not just at the ballot box, but also within our judicial system. Um, And when we're talking about this group's understanding of the environment, that Uh, important word that um, you uh, of dominion that you mentioned there in your question really comes into play, right? Uh, Most people think back to uh, the first book in Genesis in the Bible, where uh, I think it's Genesis uh, uh, chapter 1, 26 and 28, where God says, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, And uh, I've given you this world, uh, subdue it and have dominion over it. Well, the question there is when it comes to dominion is what is supposed to be this relationship? Does subdue and dominion mean that people can do whatever they want with the natural world? Should we understand resources simply as resources that can prop up our economy, uh, that can enrich us? Well, um, or can dominion also mean something like uh, humans are maybe the most important um, creation on the planet, but the, but uh, we also share um, on a on a kind of like a, a familiar plane um, with with the rest of of nature and the other things that God created. Are should we have respect for the things that God created? Uh, and that's something that really plays into this community in the 1970s and the 1980s and i call it uh, christian environmental stewardship the idea of being custodians of what god created and this is really the idea or their interpretation of uh, what they are thinking of when they are talking about things like dominion in the bible Um, the other thing to kind of pay attention to especially there in that that first uh, chapter in genesis is that when god is creating not just humanity but all of creation It is is mentioned uh, seven times in that first chapter that when God creates something, it says it was good. Uh, It's very hard to simply understand dominion as having total control over what God created when it was God's creation and, and, and their viewpoint. So that idea of understanding the world with reverence and respect, and it's not actually humanity's uh, gift to do whatever we want with it, because um, it was believed that it was uh, owned by God. And there in the book, towards towards the end, I get into that uh, this community wants to turn these viewpoints into action by about the early 1990s, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is made up of millions of Southern Baptists. Uh, and they're, most are um, uh, religious rights supporters. They uh, uh, they put on an environmental seminar in 1991, and their idea is to turn these ideas of stewardship into action. And on the flyers that they send out, uh, it says um, uh, it has like a picture of the Earth, and on it it says divine ownership. And that's a, a huge argument that they're that they're making here in the early 1990s, saying, you know, we've had these views for a long time. Let's actually do something about them. And when you
0: say these ideas at this time in 1991 you're talking about these ideas of environmental stewardship of human's role on earth to protect the earth uh as God's creation in in their language
1: yeah yes yeah, so that, that's exactly correct um and at that at that seminar uh they're talking about all the the dangers uh, that the environment is is being faced with due to uh, humans' uh, impact and our irresponsibility uh, here on the Earth, and they're calling for people to 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 do something about it. And uh, climate change is a part of that. Uh, they have sent out flyers to people saying uh, they they have a list of all the different dangers that that the Earth is facing, and one is is climate change. They didn't have a problem with it uh, there at that seminar. Now that quickly changes there in the 1990s, but. Um, And this is what, uh, again, if it goes back to the uh, how I got started on this project is, you know, that's that in of itself is really fascinating when we have a group uh, like the religious right that is seen as so entrenched in their views. Well, not so much when it comes to the environment. And that's what makes this such a such a great story.
0: It really is a fascinating story. So here we are. It's the early 90s. There's this concept of environmental stewardship. It appears to be somewhat non-controversial within the evangelical community. So what happened? How did we get from that to name calling and and belittling of of the environmental efforts? It it just seems like such an extreme change. Can you tell us what led up to that and how did that kind of play out?
1: Yeah, you have a a resurgence or kind of like a renewed interest in The environmental movement in 1990. It was the 20th anniversary of the first Earth Day. And by 1992, you have the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, where the world is coming together trying to figure out what to do about climate change. Well, uh, there's a fascinating uh, group of studies or a a scholarship by uh, sociologists, uh, Riley uh, Dunlap and Aaron McCrite, And what they show is that think tanks respond to what the world wants to do uh, when it comes, especially to the uh, Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, groups like the, the Free Enterprise Institute or the Cato Institute, these groups are coming together and they realize, okay, we need to start upping the amount of information to offer people an alternative an alternative option. Uh, because as they find in, in their work, um, The American populace overall doesn't have a problem with climate change. It's the main uh, story they're being told by climate scientists through um, popular media sources. And so people are mostly on board with this. Well, um, these conservative think tanks start disseminating material, saying basically three um, three different answers to climate change. One is that it's not real. Two, if it's real, then uh, it's fine. The increased amount of CO2 is plant food. This will be great for our crops, all right? And then the the third one is that if we do something about climate change, it's going to ruin our economy. Mm -hmm. So those are the three major storylines coming out of these conservative think tanks. Well, within other groups, very similar to uh, these think tanks uh, that I call uh, special purpose groups, like the John Birch Society, they start coming up with uh, other sort of narratives uh, in conjunction to these three major stories. And um, there's conspiracy theories. Uh, There's the idea that uh, the environmental movement is uh, they worship the earth. They call them a a new age movement. And also they come up with this conspiracy theory that uh, it's, it's really a An attempt to destroy the United States, United States freedom, destroy our economy, and kind of turn the world into a a new world order. Uh, That's some of the uh, terms that they use there. And uh, people within the religious right movement, uh, they're reading this material, and they start becoming concerned. Uh, One of the people I mentioned about the um, the Southern Baptist Convention, and they're putting on this uh, seminar there in 1991. Well, the, the, organize, uh, the organizers are getting letters from just regular everyday people, Southern Baptists uh, in places like Oklahoma, saying, uh, you should stay away from doing anything about the environment because uh, it's run by New Agers and they want to destroy the US, they want to destroy our economy. Uh, so this becomes a real narrative that gains traction throughout the community. And what's really fascinating there about in the early 1990s is that's the time when they're trying to turn uh, the idea of Christian stewardship into action. But the community is really having a battle within itself to decide, okay, well, where where do we want to go with this? And there's a variety of of strategies that's happening in the community to get the to get the group to stand against these environmental protection efforts, and one of them um, that uh, I found particularly fascinating is, and you mentioned uh, belittling people, this this idea of ridicule. How do you come up with new social rules where they did not exist before? And one way that communities do this, not just in this community but elsewhere, is uh, mocking people, making fun of them. Um, and people start realizing pretty quickly, if I want to stay within this community and be respected, uh, what should I do about something like the environment? Uh, do I stay silent? Well, that's a possibility. Do I start repeating what other people are saying that climate change isn't real? Uh, that's also another possibility, or do I keep fighting? And some people keep fighting for, for stewardship and, um, uh, someone that was really understood as a, a part of that community, uh, is, uh, Richard Sizek. and, uh, he's a very, uh, uh, public figure that was working within, uh, the National Association of Evangelicals, and he really, uh, understood himself as in lockstep with the religious right. Well, uh, because he understood things like climate change in a, in a different viewpoint than the rest of the community... Uh, he lost his position and he really starts seeing himself as being outside of that community. And you have other people within the religious right that just decide, I'm just going to drop this issue. It's not worth it for me to keep fighting. And um, that's sort of this really fascinating struggle that you see here within the religious right community in the 1990s.
0: I thought those were some of the most interesting sections of the book because we really get a sense of what it was like for people who were in the community, very dedicated to their evangelical churches and to their peers. Uh, and, and you could really get a sense of how deeply they were torn by this pressure um, really from both sides. One side maybe being internal with other like-minded people who who really did believe that they have this requirement to support the Earth, to conserve the Earth, to to sort of respect God's creation on the one side and then on the other side, these very real pressures to be part of their social group and their work group. I, I was very uh, impressed by how much pressure they felt. You talked about Sizik losing his job. But there were others too. It wasn't just this one lone character. You give several examples of this pressure that was building in the community during that time. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, about how that played out? So you, you talked about the bit, the way that the belittling was used as um, people would sort of get made fun of for supporting these radical creatures who were who were pro environmental, um, but what i found interesting also about that is that there was also a concept of of hierarchy uh very deeply imbued in the in the in the views of the people who were who were who were um wanting to push forward this idea of the uh pro-environmentalist movement being unnatural um and you you spent a a bit of time in the book talking about how they use this argument of it being unnatural can you what that was about?
1: Yeah, uh, I think oftentimes we think of uh, when it comes to the environmental movement as uh, protecting wilderness, something that is separate from humanity, something that's outdoors. Um, but there's also what is what's natural uh, amongst humans, or what's uh, and I, I especially get into this with with chapter two like what is the relationship between, between people and nature? Are we a part of it or are we actually separate from it? And this is a question that uh, is, is, is a huge issue uh, within, or a really interesting thing to explore within environmental history overall. Um, but amongst the, the religious right community uh, they're, they are thinking about well, what is my relationship to to God's earth? But what is also natural for for humans? How did God design humans to to actually uh, to to be? And what is our place in relationship to to God's earth? So, kind of to to repeat a, a little bit of what I've already talked about. When it comes to God's earth, uh, they understand humanity as being the the pinnacle creation or God's crowning achievement. That, in one sense, understands the rest of the environment as um, that humans are, are above it. Um, but at the same time, uh, the idea of, of stewardship going all the way back to, to 1970, uh, they also understand themselves as, as a part of creation. Well, beyond that, they're thinking about what is natural for humanity. And this is something that the religious right... Really pushes during the 1970s into the 1980s and even unto today, how did God design people to behave and see the world around them? And that's this sort of becomes a formula for uh, pastors to tell their congregations if you just follow this formula of how to live, how did God design humans, you're going to be a happier person overall. And oftentimes they're looking back to uh, the book of Genesis where god creates uh, uh adam and eve this becomes an argument for a traditional marriage uh, within uh, religious right circles you have uh, sort of um religious right supporters like phyllis schlafly who starts the eagle forum uh, and she fights against things like the era and she was interviewed um in 1989 uh, and she was asked well what do you think about lenin's uh, liberation and she says well some people In the present day and this is in 89 she says um i think it was a good thing but she says overall i think it's made women miserable it's made their lives miserable or worse uh, for it and she she didn't necessarily uh, say it outright that women were designed to get married and have kids but she's saying it's just but she does say it's it's kind of a a natural desire that that's when that's what God designed women to do. and that's how happiness can be obtained. And that idea of how God designed people is really uh, pervasive throughout this community and how they understand what is natural for people. And uh, it's kind of an interesting way to understand uh, that relationship between people and nature because they're really understanding people as, yeah, kind of above it, but also a part of it. And what is natural for humans uh, also plays a role in that. And I think that's what makes environmental history so, especially so um, fascinating, is this relationship between people and nature and the degree that we understand ourselves as a part of nature. So that was a really interesting lens to explore religious right culture, not simply the environment as something that's outside, but humans being a part of it.
0: A one uh, sort of intertwined system, what, where it sounds like what you found is that within the religious right, the roles of each of those players has a sort of preordained uh, definition, a sort of godly definition. And this idea that the environmentalists are are coming up with, um, especially the, the strict conservationists, it seems like what they are one of the things they're responding to is that this goes outside of the natural relationships as God intended, um, because uh, in in their um, in their perceptions, um, particularly there was uh, some notice about an idea that maybe humans in that case were uh, were idolizing the earth, where they should really only be focused um, on God.
1: Yeah, and I think this plays into the uh, kind of the conspiracy stuff that's happening there in the 1990s by saying that environmentalists worship the earth, um, that they're that 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 they're worshiping the the earth goddess uh, Gaia, and this is something that um, really starts giving environmentalists a, a, a bad label, uh, so much so that um, religious right supporters really don't want anything to do with it. And I'm not saying that that understanding of uh, environmentalists, environmentalists as Earth worshippers is, is something new. It was an issue that people were talking about uh, going back to, to 1970, uh, but it becomes, it becomes uh, uh, re-energized and reused to frame uh, environmentalists as something you don't want to have anything uh, to do with because they have the, you know, designed order all mixed up in an unnatural uh, type way.
0: Another area of the book I was I thought was completely fascinating was who was doing what. So uh, coming into the book, I thought, uh, and, and maybe some of the listeners do too, I kind of thought, oh, they sort of act and think as a, as a group. Um, but what you showed is, uh, is a lot of variation, um, even when some people in the religious right community were very anti-environmental um, things, you still show that there's quite a bit of, of variability within the community, and you talked about some of the people who continued to make this argument for environmental stewardship despite losing their jobs. You know, we talked about that before. But one of the things I really liked about the book is that you show um, the some of the the variation within a group that I think a lot of people from the outside might look in and think oh you know they all think and do the same things but really there's a lot of of different ideas going on at the same time that are sort of competing for supremacy and if I understood correctly and this is one thing I wanted I want you to talk about is it seems like a very small number of the total uh, was really pushing hard against the environmental movement um, but I wanted to ask you about that. Is it a small number, just the very, these very influential people like Jerry Falwell? Um, but or was it, or was it a? I know it became a bigger movement, but how did it play out within the sort of leadership of of the religious right?
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's a, a, kind of a really interesting question because, and it kind of goes back to this idea of how does a community come up with new rules. Where rules really didn't exist before, and especially how a norm gets uh, gets changed into something else, because you had, uh, for example, in Christian educational material that was uh, used in teaching um, students in the K through twelve community uh, about the natural world, and stewardship was really the um, the gold standard throughout uh, in very conservative. Uh, type publications like a Becca book or um, Bob Jones University Press. And then in science classes, they're hearing about, well, uh, uh, DDT, the the pesticide, is something that really harmed uh, bird populations. Perhaps we should use other uh, uh, means to control pests. Uh, And then in 1993, uh, you have the same publisher, like Abeka uh, Books, totally changing their their viewpoint on things like that, saying, "Well, DDT is it has no impact on bird populations." Well, the question, you know, which which you bring up here is uh, that's that's a really uh, you know well thought out is how do these norms change, and I think people are at the at the elite level are looking at each other, wondering what to do. Uh, you're having all this new information that people are struggling with uh, within the community and beyond. Um, you know, from the present day, it's kind of easy to say, well, um, uh, a human cause climate change is it's a scientific fact. You know, they've done studies showing that uh, over 97 percent of climate scientists uh, believe that humans are a primary reason for climate change. But at the time there in the early 1990s, um, these alternative viewpoints of climate change are read not only amongst the evangelical community, but among uh, regular everyday people. Uh, They're hearing other viewpoints from uh, biologists like um, uh, Dixie Lee Ray, uh, who is a fairly well-known person uh, there in the 1990s. And so people are starting to figure out, well, uh, what, what what do I believe? Um, and the leadership, someone like a uh, religious right co-creator, Pat Robertson, uh, he had largely been in support of stewardship, uh, but he comes out with, uh, with work in the 1990s in which he's actually working with political conservatives in which they're really saying the environmentalist movement is a bad deal. We don't want anything to do with them. They're going to ruin our economy. And Robertson really just kind of goes along with the flow. You have someone like um, Jerry Falwell, who, who really uh, stakes, takes a strong stance against the environment early on. Uh, you have a story there about it's Sunday at, at his church, and his uh, university's biology club tells him that uh, they want the rest of the congregation to know that they are observing Earth Day. Well, what is Falwell going to do? He seems like he's uncomfortable with it, but students within his own university want to observe Earth Day. And he kind of smashes them in front of everyone and saying, uh, well, the earth is going to end soon, so we're we're not going to be a part of it. And I can just imagine being a part of that club, sitting there in church, when your pastor and the founder of, you, of your university is telling you that you're on a fool's errand, you shouldn't really be doing this. Uh, he doesn't really stay on that argument. He changes it uh, throughout the 1990s. Um, but he always continuously takes a stand against it. But it's also really important to know that in the 1980s, he's not saying anything against the environment, or even during the 1970s. Um, he kind of, I don't think he personally knows what to do um, until it's fa- it's facing him right there in, in his church. So I think it's sort of like um, how popular culture within any sort of community changes. you. I sort of see it as almost like a, a flock of birds moving from point A to point B. It's easy when the, when the community is going in one direction, everybody knows where to go. But when a new issue or something presents itself, you might have a couple break off and go someplace. Well, the rest of that community has to decide, well, do I follow or do I kind of stay with the status quo? And you kind of see the community here looking at each other, wondering what to do. And when Falwell, for example, makes fun of environmentalists in church, someone who wants to support stewardship is going to sit there, see everybody, not only Falwell make fun of environmentalists, but look at the people sitting next to you that are laughing along with him. And you know where the community's going. And you have to ask yourself, well, do I stay silent or do I say something about it? and it's often a lot easier when you think that the community has voted to move in a particular direction to say nothing uh, because saying something uh, you'll probably get blowback and that's just not within this community that's we can we can see that around us within our community of friends our local communities or even our national community um, when it comes to okay trying to take the temperature of where that community is going and what do I believe, and what do I want to share with other people? So it, that struggle there in the in the early 1990s, and seeing how people are trying to understand their place in that community, is it's it's fascinating because yeah, we're seeing them change their views on something that uh, that they've or or on a standard view that they've held. But at the same time, we can also think about what has gone on in our own lives and our own communities and uh, the decisions that we have to face uh, with what do i say if i don't agree with what everyone is thinking so
0: and what um, would it mean if i do say that what what blowback am i going to experience as an individual particularly if you don't feel very strongly about it i i, I can i can feel <laughs> for for those people who are really struggling with that yeah. um you uh in the book you um, you also well I, I don't know I don't know if this is on purpose but I was fascinated by the title um, and maybe I was reading too much into it but the title the nature of the religious right um, it sounds like you're saying hey this kind of thing this kind of cultural amorphous shift that happens up over quite a long period of time could really happen in any in any culture um, but the title says the nature of the religious right and I just wonder if there's something in there that you think is specific to a religious community um, or or is it is it more just a, ca- a catchy title or or something else other than that?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't want it. Uh, I wanted the title to reflect that this is not just a, um, a back and forth or a history of how this particular community understands the environmental movement. Yes, it's a part of the uh, uh, the subtext, or the sub, the part of the uh, subtitle there, um, but I also, uh, and I, as I mentioned before, they're they're thinking of of their place within the created order, and that relationship between God and creation. Are they a part of the environment, or are they not? Um, and so, I think the, the nature of the religious right at least reflects that more nuanced view. Beyond just okay, well, what do we think of the environmental movement? Do we go along with them, or do we uh, uh, say that we're we're in opposition? And um, so I think I was trying to reflect that that more more nuanced or more perhaps holistic type of understanding uh, when it comes to to people and and nature. Um, but I don't think there's anything s- specific when it comes to just understanding this community as being different unto itself. I think within our society, we, uh, at least amongst people outside of that community, we look at the religious right as militantly entrenched in their views. And oftentimes we say, well, I I don't understand those views. And that's something I, I totally disagree with. And we kind of separate ourselves from that group, but we kind of see here throughout the, this history, uh, really from the late 1960s to the present day, they're kind of struggling with issues in a very similar way that other communities do. Uh, that their views are changing over time, um, and it kind of kind of makes uh, this group more interesting than just understanding them as that group over there that I don't understand and I just disagree with them. Yeah.
0: Um, so the last chapter before the conclusion um, is called, It Could Have Taken a Very Different Path. Can you talk about that? What, what are the other paths that could have been taken? And, 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 and what, what, were you, what, what are you hoping that readers take from that?
1: Well, that's, uh, uh, that's from the uh, Southern Baptist Convention's employee. Uh, he's retired now, named uh, Richard Land uh, he's the one that put together this environmental seminar there in 1991. He was—he had just been hired. Um, I don't think he wanted to, you know, he, he knew of stewardship. He thought this is something that we need to turn into action. But by about in 93 to 1994, he just drops the whole thing. And this goes back to that idea of, well, he can see where his community is going. He's not willing to put himself out there anymore. Uh, and have to re-explain what stewardship is and how that's different from the environmental movement. Uh, and when I interviewed him in 2017, he said he said it could have taken a very different path. They could have embraced the idea of stewardship uh, that they had for over 20 years and say let's let's actually just stay with this. I um, mean, he blames in the present day he, or at least in 2017 when I spoke to him, he blames environmentalists and uh, what he understands is uh, their uh, their earth worshipping type approach. Uh, that uh, he says this is why we don't want anything to do with them, uh, and he blames them for that. And in the book, I say, well, it's kind of my interpret or <laughs> my uh, my judgment on him, I guess, kind of shaking a finger at land, saying, well. Um, you could have still done the uh, the stewardship thing. He was right, and he had to repeat this over and over and over again to his community there in the early 1990s, saying stewardship is different. We aren't environmentalists. Uh, stewardship is something where we understand uh, in a kind of like a, a, a different, yes, we want to protect the earth like environmentalists, but we're doing a different thing. And they could have done it. Um, and their opposition to environmental protection, and I also mentioned this uh, in the book, it's not really backed up by theology. It's more social. It's more political. It's uh, the sort of a religious right uh, identity here that we're seeing being created uh, there in the early 1990s. So it really didn't have to be that way, uh, which is what I think Richard Land was reflecting on during that interview, but now he's certainly in lockstep with the rest of his community. And I kind of point that out there in the book, again, kind of shaking my fingers saying, well, you were right at one time, it could have taken a different path, it didn't have to go down this way. And you're kind of you were kind of went along with it. It sounds Uh,
0: uh, a little bit like when someone says, "Look what you made me do."
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) you know, rather than taking responsibility for your for your own actions completely.
1: Um, And if I just could throw in one more thing there, I also uh, make the point that a reader who who is working through this book, we can in someone who's not a part of the religious right movement or an evangelical or, 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 or in any part of that group, we can pass judgment on that group and say, well, you're not supporting the environment, but even amongst, um, everyone is, is, is still a part of our community overall when we vote at the ballot box or uh, consume products at, at any store uh, we can th- think of ourselves as, oh well, I'm not a part of that group, therefore I'm, I'm, you know, self righteous or I'm making the right decisions. Uh, but oftentimes we find ourselves um, kind of making uh, non environmentally friendly decisions. And I kind of bring that up there at the very tail end of the book, saying that both Dem- for both Democrats and Republicans, the economy is always the number one issue at election times. Um, we can sort of Pass judgment on something like the religious right, but you know, we also should should think about what what we're doing, um, as as well. And we're all always not making the right decisions,
0: <laughs> for sure. That I think we can all sort of quietly admit that we don't always do exactly what we know is the best for the earth or for the world overall. Um, I want to go back to something very quickly. If we have a few minutes, um, one of the big arguments uh, against the environmental conservation efforts um, and the idea of of, uh, human enabled uh, climate change is an idea that there is a hard choice between supporting that and supporting the economy. Um, And to me, I had to actually go back a couple of times to really understand why is that such a hard line choice? Um, because a lot of the rhetoric outside of the community is about uh, climate activism, you know, goosing the environment. Uh, sorry, goosing the economy. Um, and I, I realize, you know, people have lots of different opinions about that. But it comes through throughout the book that this is an underlying like truism within the argument that there's a choice, and choosing the environment is is choosing against the economy and the well-being of humans. Can you just explain why that's so deeply felt as a as a duality?
1: I think because it 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 takes something that is uh a complicated issue and simplifies it. I think people want a more uh simplified narrative when it comes to issues and the environmental movement, uh particularly the uh well I'll I'll kind of answer this as. something that we talk about in my environmental uh, studies and uh, history classes. And um, I ask students, what what do you think of when you hear the word environmentalist? And someone will raise their hand and say, well, a a tree hugger. And I say, okay, well, the the term tree hugger, I say, what what does that mean? Uh, That means um, really removing yourself from uh, being a consumer, buying things and just doing everything that supports the environment. And one of the things that people think about in connection with that are uh, environmental groups like Earth First, uh, cre- co-created by uh, Dave Foreman. And in his uh, in his book on being an eco-warrior, he says he wants a, like wilderness to be untouched by humans. And he really has this problem that he talks about in, in his book saying, well, I have to live and therefore I have to consume things like uh, food. I have to wear clothes. Uh, I have to get from point A to point B. And therefore I'm using energy, fossil fuels and things like that. But yet um, I want wilderness to be untouched. He's like, how do I live in this world? Um, and that's kind of the um, the narrative that people kind of come to this conclusion of either I'm a consumer and I'm destroying the world, and I'm a, a, a supporting the economy, or uh, I'm not impacting it at all. And I think we see this in films like Avatar. You have uh, the Na'vi on Pandora. And where do you see them farming? They don't farm. They, they, they like live in nature. And they uh, they do. There's one part where they kill a couple of sort of like wolves in the very beginning part of the film. But after that, they are like one with nature. And the sort of narrative of being one with nature, either I'm living like the Navi in in an uh, in avatar, uh, or I'm destroying it, and this just isn't a a part of um, the the religious right and how they're understanding. Okay, are are we do we go along with environmentalists or do we just support the economy? Uh, this is a very old narrative within the United States uh, when it comes to um, how we understand what is actually uh, nature and what is, what is not. Um, and we, we, uh, just to throw out another popular culture thing, we see this in, uh, the 1990s film of, uh, Disney's Pocahontas where she sings about her relationship to the natural world. Uh, and in contrast to John Smith's who, uh, who wants to shoot everything, right. It's sort of like this, um, environmentalist, um, Eco-friendly viewpoint, and the economy's bad, or we could even go back to Ted Turner's uh, Captain Planet uh, cartoon in the nineteen nineties, of these big industries just want to stamp out uh, the environment and throw away toxic waste everywhere. Um, Well, this it becomes a lot more complicated when we see when we realize well we are a part of the natural world, we do have a place in it. We, to simply live, we have to consume things like like food. But then it, the complicated aspect comes to how much do I consume? At what level do I say it needs to stop? Well, you have a, a, a fundamentalist or an evangelical uh, intellectual named Francis Schaeffer, who's thinking about this stuff even in the later part of the 1960s. And he writes that book called um, Pollution and the Death of Man. And it's a really fascinating way a way he understands protecting God's earth. He does say that he supports capitalism. He says, I am due some profit, but I must limit the amount that I take from the earth because it is God's earth. And that kind of comes back to this larger conversation that the religious rights having and our wider society is having about how do I understand how much can I take from the environment? What is the the right way to do it? And I think when you have uh, like a politician, like uh, uh, a President Biden talk about, well, uh, how do we have a strong economy, but take care of the earth? His answer is green jobs. Whereas a uh, environmental advocate like Greta Thunberg, uh, she's saying we have to consume less. We need to start rejecting this idea of of, uh, consumer culture. And that's something that, again, is just not the religious rights struggling with. We all are. When we go to a store and we buy something, we have to realize, well, where does this product come from? Who were the people that worked on this project or product? Uh, And what is this doing to the local environment where this product was made? And oftentimes, it's easy to just see the product on the shelf and disconnect it from where it came from um, because it's so easy to consume, right? either online or in the store. and when we make these decisions, it's just not a consumer decision. It's also an ethical decision. And we have to think about when we go watch a movie like Avatar and we root for the Navi and then we leave that movie theater, uh, what are, do we do? We identify with the protagonist or the the villains when we're buying things that may be comparable to like unobtainium in, in the movie Avatar when we're making those ethical decisions in the store?
0: Right. It's there's so much gray area and there is some um, benefit for for clarity of message when you can simplify it down into uh, what what is sort of accepted, not accepted, good, bad. There's something very palpable and and uh, accessible about simplifying that. Um, And I, I love the way you bring that out in the book. Um, so we're getting to the end. I'd like to ask if there's anything else you want to say about the book or if there's a key message that you want people to walk away from the, the conversation and sort of take away from it uh, before they get to read the book, because I strongly recommend reading the book.
1: Yeah, the uh, the big thing overall is that uh, this community that we often see as militantly entrenched in their views. Um, changed at least with the idea of, uh, the environment, uh, for 20 years, they supported eco-friendly, uh, ideals. And this is surprising. Uh, it's, it's, uh, kind of like a new, uh, view of, of how this uh, group understands the world around them. Um, and it's just not a, and if we can expand it beyond just the book, uh, This idea that views can change amongst a a group like the uh, religious right uh, suggests to people in the present day that uh, perhaps these views can change again. I kind of mentioned that there in the introduction that perhaps we can have conversations within our very politically polarized society to uh, make the world a better place, find mutually beneficial solutions to things like climate change and The fact that their views changed over time suggests, again, that perhaps they can change again. Now, that may be overly hopeful, but it's at least a kind of a starting point and a way that we can use history to beyond just something that happened in the past to uh, understand ourselves in the present day and make better decisions in the future.
0: Well, that is a great way to leave it. So the very last thing I'll ask um, is if you have a recommendation for our listeners of something for them to read, either something of your own or something else.
1: Well, of course, this book is the best book that's ever been written, Nature of the Religious, right? But um, I would uh, also support uh, reading Robin Globus Veldman's a book called the uh, the Gospel of Climate Skepticism. Uh, she wrote her books or her book uh, about two years before I wrote mine, and she gets into uh, roughly between 2006 to 2015 about how uh, conservative or white conservative evangelicals understand things like uh, climate and the climate uh, climate change in the present day. So, if you read my book, read hers. Uh, hers kind of brings it up to date, and also. Um, just to throw in one more, Strangers in Their Own Land by uh, Arlie Russell Hothschild. That's another great book uh, in which uh, both uh, Veldman and Hothschild, uh, their, uh their book is largely them interacting with people on the ground in, uh, in the American South and trying to work with them and understand how they understand their, their religious faith, the uh, economy, and their place and relationship with nature.
0: Wonderful. Well, Neil Pogue, it is such a pleasure to have you on the New Books Network. Thank you for coming to talk with us about the nature of the religious right, and thank you for your other recommendations. Have a great day.
1: Thank you very much.